3: From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we're going to have an interview with CZ Jow, the CEO of Binance. Interviewed by Editor-in-Chief Dan Roberts and writer Stacey Elliott. Before we get into all of that, let's get into those crypto prices.
4: Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks.
3: We have Bitcoin sitting at $21,084, down 2.3% in 24 Ethereum is number two at $1,174, down 3.5%. Tether is number three, USDC is number four, and Binance is number five at 235, down 2.9% in 24. Rounding off the top 10, we have BUSD, XRP, Cardano, Solana, and Dogecoin. The total market cap of the entire crypto space is down 1.7%, sitting at $939.6 billion. The BTC dominance is 43.1, and the F dominance is 15.3. And now, without further ado, here's CZ Zhao, Stacey Elliott, and Dan Roberts. And they're going to be talking about, as we mentioned yesterday, about bailouts, if CZ would be doing the same thing as SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, and all kinds of other stuff. I think they even talk about their favorite sci-fi books. Anyway, you can find this episode and much more at the GM podcast, also by Decrypt. Enjoy.
0: Okay, CZ, GM, thanks
1: for coming on the pod. Good morning. Thanks for having me here.
0: Welcome. Uh, Let's start this way. We like to have a little bit of fun here and not be all business. Let's get a little meta and talk about the fact that you're doing this interview with us. You know, just recently, as we record this, just recently you were on the cover of Business Week and there was some talk in the story about you lately doing more press. And then it was uh, interesting to see your tweets about the story. Uh, Has your feeling about doing the press and, and the media circuit changed at all? I mean, do you hate doing this, like doing this?
4: I know,
1: like my feeling doesn't change. I mean, um, just one one slightly misquoted article, one switch and bait doesn't change. I think all like ninety nine percent of the journalists, uh, podcasters, um, KOLs, I meet are fantastic people. So, um, in fact, I'm doing more of that just to you know dilute some of some of the negative art, some of the negative pieces. So once in a while, you get you you get a guy who's who have a negative narrative. Um, but that's a very minority of people. So um, I think we meet a lot of great journalists, a lot of good podcasters um, that help to spread this, uh, this this industry around. So that's very important.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go all the way back to your first moment when you caught the crypto bug. I mean, I think by now most of our listeners, and I know we know it, know your kind of resume and, and the order in which you worked at certain companies and launched certain companies. But do you actually remember the first moment that you heard of or learned about crypto?
1: Yeah, um, well, I also talked about this a few times. I learned it on a poker table from uh, Bobby Lee and Ron Cao. Bobby Lee was the B, uh, CEO of BTC China. Um, so uh, at the time, he wasn't, he was becoming that. So he mentioned that uh, on a poker table. And uh, um, yeah, since then, I got more and more intrigued. And that's how I started. Yeah.
2: Nice. And then, um, Susie, I'm Susie Elliott. Uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about the five year anniversary. That's actually tomorrow, is that right? As we're yes. talking? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I listened to your Twitter space earlier today. As you said, you have been doing a lot more of those and kind of doing more outreach. Um, I wanted to ask you, because you said something on there that I thought was really interesting that you know, there's a lot more opportunities for business during a bear market than a bull market. Um, so you know, you're know, you moving into like the next phase for Binance. You're five years old now what do you want to see Binance build during this bear market?
1: So um, I think um, Binance is no longer a top-down driven from me, so I don't really decide what products to build, um, what to do, what not to do, uh, especially products' features. Um, so we uh, – we, I just set a general direction. We just want to provide – build more tools for people to access Web3, blockchain, cryptocurrencies. Um, so that's the general direction. Um, and uh, we have, I don't know, depending how you how you count it, we have 30 to 50 or 200 different products in the Binance ecosystem that's using BNB chain, centralized exchanges, decentralized wallets. Um, I can't decide which direction to go. Just guys, let's just build tools that people can use. Um, so it's a much more bottom-up, grassroots kind of um, approach where different teams are working on different things, um, and they have freedoms to, uh, to experiment. And uh, sometimes they just build things, and many times actually they do build things that people use. So we have some – we have one of the most downloaded uh, crypto mobile wallet, trust wallet. Uh, We now own one of the most visited websites in crypto, CoinMarketCaps.com, which is for people to access information. Of course, we have the centralized exchange. And we contribute to the B and B chain ecosystem. I think all of those things are very interesting. So um, I'm not a very detailed, hands-on product kind of guy. Um, so we just give them opportunities for them to, for our teams to, uh, uh, to, to to develop.
2: Okay. Okay. So, the words not coming from you, guys. I want you to build this next. Um, so then let me kind of flip that. What are you hearing from the team and the communities that they think they need to be in the ecosystem?
1: Um, well, I think there's a uh, uh, – well, uh, there's a few different things. Um, today I believe on the centralized exchange where uh, um, people want to see more security, more stability um, uh, for the – especially in this sort of uh, uh, bear markets. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to uh, see more innovative projects getting listed, uh, etc. cetera. Um, on the – in the industry side, I think wallets still is a big bottleneck for the industry. So for for us to go fully decentralized, everybody hold their cryptos on their own. I think we need better wallet technologies. We make it easier for people to store their backups, uh, their backup like private key seeds. If they suddenly, if they eventually become uh, unavailable at some point, how do they pass those assets to their kids? So a solution like this don't don't really exist yet. I know a bunch of people who are working on it. Uh, We're investing very heavily in these areas. So all of this are very interesting. It doesn't have to be fully related to the centralized exchange. Um, the rest are very, but most of the time, the community feedback are very specific, very small. They usually don't give you big product ideas. Mm-hmm. So those are usually like adjustments. Uh, on big product ideas, you really need the entrepreneurs to go and try and fail and try, and then you know maybe fail 10 times and succeed once.
0: Let's market, CZ, and specifically on the note of centralized exchanges and the competition there, you know, it was wild to me having formerly covered sports business and crypto and now all crypto. But seeing exchanges like yours and Coinbase and crypto.com and FTX all rush into sports marketing spending. Uh, and that appeared to be the area that everyone decided is is where we should spend for brand name recognition when things were good. Now we're in a crypto bear market. And it was interesting, you know, in in at least Coinbase's announcement of layoffs coming, Coinbase acknowledged, we overhired. And I kind of thought, well, yeah, overhired, and maybe you overspent on on marketing as well. What's your take on sort of that competitive race for name brand recognition, and what's going to happen next because of the bear market among exchanges?
1: Sure. Um, I think when you said everyone was rushing, um, I think we were a little bit slow in that race. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we didn't really rush to, like, we didn't name stadiums, we didn't... um, uh, we didn't – you know, we, we did less sponsorship, we didn't sponsor Super Bowls, et cetera. So we were a little bit slow in that race, uh, which is actually not a negative. Um, it actually gave us more cash now. So we're recently just starting um, in the bear market. Now we sign a Cristiano Ronaldo, who has – who is the most-followed person on the planet. He has like 450 million followers on, uh, on Instagram alone. Um, and so now we're doing like you know uh, uh, we just signed Kaby uh, Lama uh, and you know another very famous uh, uh, um, TikToker or YouTuber. Um, so we're just starting. So we were we were a little bit slow before, uh, and that may or may not be deliberate. Uh, so uh, we in bull markets we are quite cautious about spendings. Uh, in bear market now, we, in bear markets now we do have the reserves. So now we're using our our, our reserves. Um, to, uh, uh, to sign partnerships, to do hiring, um, to do investments, acquisitions, um, sometimes even some bailouts. Not all, but not all companies are worth bailing out, but of the ones that's worth it, uh, we're doing that. We're also lowering our fees uh, because we have, the, we, ha- we have the stamina to last, uh, so that this way we can ease the pain on uh, ease the friction on some of our u- – uh, for our users. So we're doing a number of those things. Uh, we like to do things off-cycle. Uh, we believe that in the bear markets is when you should invest, and in bull markets you should actually be more uh, more cautious. So we kind of took that approach a little bit, not fully deliberately, but you know uh, we ca- we. But we always knew. Uh, for me, this is my f- if this is my third bear cycle. So uh, personally, so I've been through a couple of this. Once you've been through a couple of this and you run a business, you will be more conservative doing bear uh, doing bull markets when everyone's like really crazy and hot and you know thinking that things will just go forever up uh, you're a little bit more cautious so we always held more cash reserves than most other industry players um so but not, there's no right or wrong strategy um so but we'll just see how it goes now yeah.
2: um and then i want to touch on the the note or the fact that we mentioned just now bailouts um in the market and you know as we're going into the bear market we have seen a couple of bailouts um notably coming from ftx and going out to some of the firms that are struggling right now like BlockFi and Voyager Um, you did put up a blog post not too long ago kind of describing the way you look at it that there's three different kinds of companies and some of them just are not worth saving so but a lot has happened since then I mean just before we got on I was trying to write a story about Celsius you know (laughs) like so I want to ask you know has your thinking on that changed at all and you know are we going to see any quote-unquote bailouts from Binance during this bear market?
1: Uh, we're looking. We're we're looking. Well, so first of all, the word bailout um, has a specific meaning, uh, but different people may attach different meanings to it. But it basically means helping companies um, that are short on cash, uh, uh, most like mostly. Um, but in the real world, there's a spectrum of uh, uh, of uh, of things. It's not black and white. Mm. Uh, many companies are short short on money. Doesn't mean most of not bad companies. Um, no, the companies that don't that does not have product market fit. Uh, that's poorly managed. Those things should not be propagated. Those things should not be bailed out. So um, that's one extreme. And the good companies, of course, they have no trouble raising money, and we would love to invest. Uh, and there's somewhere in the middle where you know some companies make minor mistakes. They The first time going through a bear market, they have good products, good teams, et cetera. So we just got to help, help them out a bit. And those things we're perfectly willing to do, and we're looking at a high number of deals like that. Um, I think, uh, you know. Uh, uh, the U.S. companies make more noise uh, because of – th- uh, well, there's three arrows, technically they're, best in, they're based in Singapore.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but then their investors or people who loan, money, who loan them money, like Celsius, Voyager, all of those companies are kind of in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So there's like there's quite a lot of stuff happening in the U.S. But there's also a lot of very great companies who are struggling outside of the U.S., and we're also quite active on those fronts. So we're active on on, on the global front. And um, while deals are going on, we, we observe confidentiality quite strongly. We don't talk about in-progress deals. Um, so uh, this is why – but we, we have a large number of deals uh, that we're looking at, and some of them are actually good deals. So I think you will see that we, uh, we will be, inv- we'll be investing, bailing out, saving multiple, uh, multiple projects.
0: Wow. It, it's interesting to hear you differentiate between the types of companies that deserve to be helped. Um, what I would differentiate between are, are the high-yield lenders that were promising big, um, big interest payouts to people, you know, Celsius is in there, BlockFi is in there, of course, each one tried to say, well, we're different from the other guys. Um, Stacy has written some great stuff recently about how Nexo, which has a similar business model, is saying, we're financially healthy, we're different. Um, we'll see if that's the case. But what is your take, CZ, on those companies specifically, and, and kind of who's to blame? Because as we discussed earlier, and as you and I and Stacy all know, this is such a narrative driven industry. And so the collapse of some of these companies allows many crypto skeptics who already have thought for years, oh, all of crypto is a scam and a fraud to kind of point and say, see, see. And it, it, now they're being taken by many critics as representative of the whole industry, which isn't the case. But in some of these cases, it's like. Well, yeah, it, it always looked too good to be true. You know, if they were saying 9%, 10% yield for depositing your, your crypto, um, you know, who, who, who kind of should have known better?
1: Yeah, so to be honest, it's very difficult to, um, to sort of generalize and sort of you know, comment who's good and who's bad, uh, because, um, you know, of course, when things are going well, um, if your project only gives 2% yield, and then this other company, that, this other project gives 10% yield, guess what, you're gonna lose users. And then there's a herd behavior. If somebody else is doing this, I got to do this to stay competitive. Um, And is that right or wrong? Uh, And then some people are just unlucky that the timing just happened, you know, uh, they they don't have cash. Some people are lucky that they have cash reserve, like, you know. uh, um, So there's luck involved, there's bad decisions, good decisions involved, there's peer pressure, there's, there's herd mentality. All of those things are in play. Um, but fundamentally, uh, when we look at a project to say, hey, do we want to save this project or not, we need to look at, like, look, if this project – does this project have a sound team? Do they really have product market fit? Are they saveable? Like, some projects you, – you, know, you can give them a billion dollars, and they will just wipe through that, and um, that's, that's, that's obviously not good. So, um, so this, this – it's not a black and white, like, you know, science uh, uh, mathematical formula that you can calculate uh, in each case. Uh, quite a lot of that are based on subjective feelings, um, et cetera. So – but to your second point, um, I, unfortunately, this does allow many of the skeptics about the industry to create this narrative, which is very unfortunate. Um, but there are – there's still many, many strong projects that are going even stronger in this bear market, in, uh, in this industry. So, we looked at internet, you know, uh, a bunch of e-commerce companies failed, we- uh, Webvan, um, diapers.com, a bunch of those guys. But guess what? Amazon is one of the most valuable companies in the world today. So uh, just because there's a few failures doesn't mean the industry, the technology, or all the companies are bad. So we just got to keep our heads down, we just got to keep building, and we just got to provide, uh, provide more users with more tools that they want to use. And then, when our users continue to grow, people will say, "Hey, wait, wait a second. There are a few companies that are still growing in this bear market. And hopefully, that I think I always think that building great products is the best way to counter any FUD, any negative skepticism, etc. Just be successful, and then all those other things go away.
2: Um, I want to kind of go back to the comment you made. You know, comparing you know some of what's going on to you know some of the retailers that have failed, and then you know Amazon is still here. I was covering Amazon, you know, years ago when they were kind of in their, like, acquisition spree. Um, and we are seeing a lot of talk right now that, you know, FDX and some of the other companies that are bailing others out are going to acquire them and come out of this bear season bigger, stronger, just with more verticals underneath them. Um, you know, would you have made those deals, like the ones we saw over at Blackfire Voyager?
1: Um, I couldn't comment. all. Oh. We obviously uh, we look at some of those deals we uh, so far have not engaged in those specific deals uh, mm-hmm. that you mentioned. So obviously we did not engage we did not fully engage. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not to say the deals are right or wrong. Um, the deals the deals that don't work for one acquirer may work for a different acquire because they have a different business, they have a different focus, they mm-hmm. have a different philosophy, um, they have a different market, uh, they have a different mindset. Some people like you know some exchanges want to go back to stock trading and mm-hmm. you know target that market. That's again not a wrong or right approach. Uh, we are a pure Web three company. We don't want to. We, we're not going back. We're, we're moving forward. We're like we want to build web, more Web three tools. So there's different strategies that make different deals work for different parties or not. There are also geographic considerations, user based overlap considerations. Um, if it's a company that we already have very high user overlap, then there's no point for us to invest or acquire that company. Um, we already have all those users. So um, there's many different types of considerations. There's no right or wrong. Um, so I think any deal uh, uh, I think any deal is done, that's done. Um, you know uh, and any uh, any platform that can be acquired or saved, is generally good for users. Mm-hmm. So this means that the users don't lose money well, or mm-hmm. hopefully lose less money or don't don't have to lose money. Um, they don't want, uh, they have a much more smooth transition onto a new platform, etc. So all of those things are good. Um, so generally most deals are good. Um, personally for me and to to a large extent for binance, we like very simple deals. Mm. you know we like deals okay look what's your revenue what's your user number? Uh, uh, we don't like deals where hey, I owe you this money you owe, you pay me back this much money, you invest me you invest in me I give you more I give you more money in loan. Uh, and then you bail me out, Uh, like, why don't we just return all the money and go back to zero and talk about our net who owe who who money and who owes – like, the the guy – if I owe you money, then you owe some shares in my company, that's it. Uh, so we like those very simple deals. Um, so, but again, th- it's not to say that complex deals are not uh, bad. Uh, some some very complex deals are very successful. But my pre- preference is always keep everything very simple, very straightforward, um, boil everything down to f- very basic core principles, and go from there. So we, we look for very simple deals. I know so I that-
2: keep paying, I know I keep pitting you against FTX, but <laughs> I have to imagine that was at least a reference to you know what just came out about them owing Voyager some money.
1: Uh, so that was surprising even to me, to be honest. I tried not to talk – comment on our competitors, uh, peer – industry peers, but, like, I would never do that type of – I would never do that type of deal. Uh, I would not – I would never say I would invest in a company and then you loan me some money. I would just not invest in that company. I'll keep my money. Mm-hmm. But again, nothing to say uh, – it's not, it's, not, it's not for me to judge if it's right or wrong, if it's good or bad. Um, it might work for them. It might not. So uh, – but it's just that like we don't do those type of deals.
0: Well, and I was going to ask, too, another FTX comparison, which is it sounds like you're saying Binance, no interest in adding stock trading anytime soon.
1: Uh, no, uh, so that's correct. So um, <laughs> we, we don't have any plans on doing stock trading. Um, we just think that, you know, we're, 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 we're not running a fiscal bookstore anytime soon.
0: Nice. Um, and then, you know, you were talking about some of the companies that might come out of this even stronger. I thought it might be fun to ask you what are some of the other companies, maybe three other crypto companies or projects that, you know, uh, outside the Binance ecosystem that you think uh, are doing great or interesting or will survive and thrive this this period?
1: Um, I got to be a little bit careful. Uh, number one, win exchange. If I say a certain few projects are going to do well, then mm-hmm. it may impact the price. So we try. I try not to comment on specific industry players. Um, you guys were asking about FTX, so, you know, made a few comments and they're, you know, then exchange. So, um, and then I um, uh, also – and also it's a bit too early to tell. Um, mm. So right now I don't think uh, all the all – the, uh, uh, I think – I don't think, I don't think we're, we're kind of on our way to a bull market – it's not 100 percent clear to me that's the case or not. So I think we have to wait and see how the market reacts. Uh, many of the deal that's going on to ne- now may or may not work out, uh, so we still have to see. So it's – and also it's very difficult to predict. Uh, which which company is going to do well, or not well? Uh, I actually don't follow the other projects that closely myself. I'm pretty busy running Binance, um, um, and so uh, to know that you really have to know the intricate details, and I don't I don't have those kind of um, detailed information.
2: Okay, and then um, so I want to take a step back. I know we've talked a lot about you know kind of these these really high interest lenders for a bit and the bailouts. Um, I want to switch gears and talk a bit about stablecoins. Um, I did see you were on with the Bankless guys last week, and you mentioned during the conversation with them that Binance actually receives about 30% of its income in the form of stablecoins. But you've also famously said that, you know, stablecoins is a bit of a misnomer and they're not really that stable. So I'm just curious to know, like, uh, how how do you go from that to about 30% of your income is coming in as stablecoins? You know, what How do you decide what stablecoins it's safe to actually hold your income in? You know, talk me through that process a little bit.
1: Sure, sure. And there's no conflict. Um, Just because uh, almost all assets we hold are not stable, (laughs) including stablecoins. So just because stablecoins is not that stable, um, when when I say that, I mean really benchmarking against purchasing power. So um, even if you look at fiat currencies, most of the time, the purchasing power go down over the years. Mm-hmm. So uh, nothing is absolutely stable when you benchmark against something else. Um, the most, uh, I think, the most logical thing to benchmark against is purchasing power, not some other currency. So uh, and so far, if you benchmark against purchasing power, Bitcoin, Ethereum, BNB, some of the top crypto- cryptocurrencies, purchasing power have been increasing over the years significantly. So uh, and back to stable coins that we so. Volatility is not a problem for us. So back mm-hmm. to the stable coins that we hold, um, we don't have a sci- we don't have a scientific way of managing that. To be very frank, we just you know our revenue comes into many different almost all the different coins that we, we support. For um, most of them, we just hold them, and uh, we just happen to have you know most people do like to trade against a stable coin pair. So when you trade Bitcoin in a BTC versus you know a, a BUSD, the number makes sense. The number is like twenty one thousand. Um, it's not 0.001 something, so the number is much easier to understand. So uh, we do have more uh, stablecoin trading pairs, which basically gives us more stablecoin income. So and, – uh, and it's okay. Like, I think – so for me, like, anywhere between 10 percent to 40 percent of stablecoin is, is probably okay. Um, we don't have to we, – we're not going to be perfectly adjusting the treasury management. We don't trade. We don't trade. We don't sell. We don't buy and sell. We don't try to predict markets. So, a very natural thing is, let's just accept everything that people pay, uh, pay, for, pay for fees with. And that actually usually works out quite fine. So, we're actually very well hedged against volatilities in Bitcoin. And when Bitcoin's going up, we benefit. So, it's actually a pretty interesting, like, it's a very simple, uh, no work strategy. It works really well.
2: Okay. And then I I wanted to ask about algorithmic stablecoins. You know, anyone who's been following the market the past few months is going to know I'm probably getting ready to talk about Terra USD. Um, You were pretty publicly, you know, disappointed with the way that whole thing went down and was handled. And so I want to ask, has that kind of changed the way you view perhaps accepting algorithmic stablecoins as payment for the company?
1: So um, a couple of things. I think, um, yes, I, w- I was disappointed with the way how it was handled, uh, and the, I, I, the speed of response, the frequency of communication with the community, and the op- speed of operational response to handle the problems I think was quite weak. So being pretty public about it, mm-hmm. um, it's one of our portfolio investing companies, so um, – uh, and um, it's uh, – so, so we, were, we were kind of part of it in, in a way. Um, and uh, so that's that. But just because one project fails doesn't mean that. I don't think it will mean algo stable coins will never work. Mm-hmm. Um, but algo stable coins do have, uh, I would say, in general, do have higher risk than a fiat backed back stable coin. A different type of risk, but much clearer. When you benchmark one, when you use one asset for collateral to uh, to pack, to pack a different asset, there's always going to be volatility. So, um, um, so that risk is much higher in algo stablecoins. This is not to say that fiat-backed stable coins have no risks. Um, there are many risks there too. Um, you know, uh, banks can freeze your money. Uh, this happened to USDT. They freeze like 600 million dollars of USDT's money at some point. Um, that caused a lot of issues, and mm-hmm. they luckily, they recover from that. So uh, and then there are different levels of uh, uh, fiat backed uh, for different fiat backed stablecoins. Some use treasury bills, some use commercial paper, some use uh, uh, BUSD uses a very high percentage of um, actual cash uh, in the bank. So different 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 approaches. Not to say, and not to say that anyone is particularly. They just have different risk profiles. So I think as users uh, or as industry players, as regulators, we need to educate the masses. So we need to increase education on the users. Uh, we should be teaching people about different risks, about stable coins, et cetera, in school. Uh, right now I don't think any school have courses cover this. So um, – um, so, uh, and then as users, they need, to de- they need to understand the different risks and decide what's good for them and what's the right portfolio for them. So um, I think the, that education part is really important. So. Long story, but I think just because of one failed project doesn't mean the whole thing is bad. But that one project did shine a pretty big light on some of the deficiencies or some of the higher risks in this area, Mm -hmm. which is very important for us to learn.
0: Yeah, we believe in education, too, at Decrypt, uh, big time. Uh, CZ, let's talk about regulation, your favorite topic. Um, you know, you and I did one of these interviews a little over a year ago, and we talked about the pressure that's always on you and on Binance to say, you know, where's the headquarters? Don't you have a headquarters? Um, and this was kind of my favorite line in, in the Business Week uh, story. You, a quote from you, you said, office, headquarters, parent company. At the beginning, we told them we don't have that. And of course, they all got pissed off. So over the last year, we set all that up. So did you capitulate basically? I mean, do you still believe, as you told me, that there's no need to have a headquarters We're a decentralized business?
1: Yeah, so uh, yes, we did capitulate. <laughs> and uh, so um, uh, again, so this, in this world, uh, so for example, when you talk about there's so many words that have somewhat ambiguous meanings, meanings but people get used to them and they will think a certain way. Uh, for example, a company, a company is just a group of guys who work together with a you know a certain agreed structure, different uh, agreements on compensation, et cetera. Headquarters, what does that mean? Does that mean the office, uh, where the senior management are? Does it mean the company registration, uh, where you pay taxes? all of those other th- all of these things. Um, so uh, and when we started, you know, five years ago, there was very little uh, uh, regulatory frameworks, and in fact, most of the regulators we spoke to, they clearly just said – like, three, four years ago when, when we spoke to Singapore AMS, they clearly told us, we don't regulate this industry, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're off, um, we, we're not involved. So back in those days, you know, we were embracing the decentralized philosophy, and it worked really well for us. We can hire talent globally, and people can – people don't have, don't have to waste time traveling – stuck in commuting. Um, they can work, and we run a twenty-four by seven exchange. And having people globally in different time zones covers that. We always have somebody uh, 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 who's awake and who's looking at um, uh, who's looking at the community, who's looking at the systems. That worked beautifully. But then, as you, yeah, as, you, as you know, when you talk with regulators, the regulators' first question is, "Where's your headquarters? Where's your office? Where's your local staff?" And that makes sense. Look, they 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 come from this background that you know over the last seventy, ninety, a hundred years they formed this this uh, this this, this um, customs or this the the uh, this rules. So they expect you have a local MLRO, your local compliance. You uh, you have a local building that people can go and complain. Um, you have to have local people who are legal representatives. And we said, look, if we want, if we want this, what's the best way forward for this industry, for us to help this industry grow as a centralized business, as a centralized exchange? The best way is to give them, give them that structure. So we set up local offices, local entities, hire local compliance, legal, this whole, this, this whole structure. Um, but today we still have a large number of people, you know, engineers, customer support that works remotely in a distributed fashion, and so we have a hybrid of those two. And when people ask about our headquarters, offices, et cetera, we have now we now have offices in Dubai, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, France, Paris, Italy. So we have we have the structure set up now. so now we we, we satisfy both sides. It's actually fantastic.
0: What is the answer now if if they say where's the headquarters? Is there one answer?
1: Uh, so well if it's well, if, if it's a, if we're in France we say look right right here in Paris, our building is right beside the right right beside the, the traditional Bourse building. Um, And if it's if we're talking about the Middle East, we have two is Bahrain and Dubai and Abu Dhabi. So, yeah, so now now people can go to the nearest office and if they have an issue, they can find us, they can talk to us. Uh, So it's it works now.
2: Yeah. um, So I while you were describing kind of, you know, we're global, crypto is global. You want to have someone in every time zone. I mean, we're quite frankly decrypt is the same we have people in many time zones there is technically a mailing address to somewhere in wyoming but i i'm not sure we actually have anyone physically in wyoming we're kind of spread out all over the place um so i i wanted to ask specifically about dubai because i know that's where it sounds like most recently you're doing a lot of hiring is it a couple of hundred people you have there now and is there any kind of focus like what what all is that team going to be working on dubai what does the dubai team do
1: yeah, so I think um, nine months ago, uh, when I first went to Dubai, um, we had about three people there. Today, I think we're coming up to 600 people there. So wow. we we brought a few, we brought a couple couple hundred people there, and then we hired the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so and Dubai is a very nice place to live. Uh, it's very modern, very established, extremely safe. It's probably one of the safest cities in the world. Um, it's got all the International restaurants, bars, nice life, ni- nice lifestyle, culture, um, and what else? And it's also very, it's also a very good time zone. It's mm-hmm. in the middle of, you know, it overlaps with America, Europe, Asia time zones. Uh, easy to fly everywhere too. So, um, and on top of that, the government is very pro innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, they understand they cannot rely on oil forever. They need to develop new fintech industries. Um, they're very pro innovation, pro 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 uh, pro blockchain. So having all of that is fantastic. So uh, we just grown the headcount there very quickly, Um, So and we'll continue to invest very heavily ourselves. We also – last time when I – nine months ago when I was there, there was like maybe two or three crypto companies there, and they're not that big. And then today there's probably a couple hundred crypto companies there, and and we organized a a blockchain conference, Mm 5,000 people attended. Um, so um, it's, it, it's just a fantastic place. So we'll continue to – yeah, so Dubai is great, and we'll continue to invest heavily there. Same with our other locations – Bahrain, Paris, uh, Italy, et cetera. So we, 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 wherever we get licenses, wherever we have a base, we, uh, we, we double down, we invest, and we also want to help to attract the ecosystem there. And we're quite good at that because we have a bit of a magnet effect in, in the industry. Um, I can go into that if you guys are interested. <laughs>
0: well you know, you say Bahrain and France and Dubai. uh, And it's interesting. I mean, no American cities in there. And, you know, FTX is is over in the Bahamas. Um, Talk to us a little bit about the status of things in the U.S. and and, uh, what about with Binance U.S., which I know for a while you had some real grand plans with, maybe even a a U.S. IPO. Um, Is the U.S. really at risk of, you know, having the strictest regulations and thus keeping companies out? Uh,
1: No, I don't think U.S. uh, I don't think U.S. is behind. Um, So different countries are forward in different aspects, Uh, Binance U.S., um, the U.S. entity in Binance uh, – for Binance, um, they got four – they got four new state licenses in the last six months. So they're getting new licenses in the U.S. So I forgot to mention that because I usually – we kind of cover that – cover them out mentally um, Mm -hmm. and and legally. So uh, include Louisiana, um, some of the bigger states, actually. So some of the states that are – that takes longer to get licenses. Binance US has like 45, 46 state licenses in in the US. So uh, and no, and they're still getting the, the last few remaining. I think they're still missing two or three uh, licenses. So they're, they're getting new licenses, and that's a that's a very strong stamp of appro- of approval and also embracing regulations. And um, their the number of users are growing. It's it's a very healthy business. Um, so uh, Binance US is doing fantastic. Um, and uh, we had a little bit of issue last year with some personnel issues. We changed some personnel, but now it's stabilized. It's fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, so it's not like we're neglecting the U.S. I, spe- I don't spend much time on, on the U.S. myself, but you know, Binance U.S. does have very uh, good presence there. And speaking of the regulations in the U.S., um, U.S. has actually one of the best banking supports for cryptocurrency exchanges anywhere in the world. So in the U.S., um, cryptocurrency exchanges like Binance U.S., Coinbase can deduct from a users' bank accounts automatically every month, uh, giving the users one-time approval through the ACH protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I think Korea has something similar. Uh, most other countries don't have this level of integration for banks – for banking support to cryptocurrency exchanges. So I think that's a fantastic thing. U.S. is more strict uh, on you know, yield-generating products, interest-generating products. Um, uh, futures, et cetera. So th- they're, they're more restrictive on those, those type of product offerings. So different countries are a little bit different. Um, it's not to say one is more uh, – like, there's no – like, it's not clear one place is globally better or ev- better in every aspect uh, than, than, than other places. So – and U.S. is also quite interesting, given that you know, uh, there's a lot of focus on U.S. U.S. is very divided, right? So U.S. has so many different, um, so many different political parties, so many different agencies, etc. And even in the Senate, you can see that some senators are very pro-innovation. Some senators want to like let's protect the U.S. dollar to to the maximum, to for the longest time, for as long as we can, and then not have the next thing. Well, uh, maybe they don't realize that that would not have the next thing. So, but you know, this debate um, is a democracy. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting to see different. Uh, so, I wouldn't say U.S. is completely behind. U.S. is, you know, strict on a few areas, but they're also advancing in a few other areas.
2: Nice. Um, so, I want to go back to the headquarters thing one more time because it sounds like you've gone from no, we don't have a headquarters to. The answer to that question is kind of it depends. It depends on where you are. So it sounds like we've gone from no we don't have one to not really having one answer. Is is there gonna be a time when there is one answer where there is gonna be a main headquarters mm-hmm. that, you know, that's the answer and then you mention all the other offices?
1: We have a global holding company. <laughs> um so we have a global holding entity. Um so uh, for the for the centralized exchange. So it's that simple.
0: And is and that entity that registered? Singapore?
1: We haven't announced it yet, so um, we will announce that in due time. Um, So yeah, Uh, but yeah, it's it's very simple. Yeah, it's it's not that complicated. Yeah,
0: feel free to
2: break on on
0: the GM podcast. I know we've been (laughs) hitting the the headquarters.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know I've been hitting the headquarters thing a lot. But you know, I started covering crypto a year ago, and I think then is when we started hearing about you guys were looking around for a headquarters. So. For me, it feels like I've been waiting a year to find out the answer to this question. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> these things take time. So uh, the, the the reason we wait is we're communicating with uh, many different regulators around different parts of the world, and we want to make sure that we just provide one answer and not change that later on, etc. So uh, yeah, so that's why we're being extremely cautious about it. Um, but we're very public about where we are physically,
4: mm-hmm.
1: um, so it's quite easy to find like to find us now. Um, so uh, yeah. Um, and it the headquarters headquarters. What you're looking for is really just the global and en- the global holding entity. Um, that's it, really. Yeah.
4: Mm.
1: And to be honest, today, like registering company is quite, uh, at least in my understanding, is not is 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 quite straightforward. Right.
0: Right. C.C., um, this has been great. I mean, there's so much more we'd love to ask you, but let, let's let's go back. Let's end full circle on something fun about you. Um, you know, Stacy actually discovered this this recent post from you about simulation theory. You believe in simulation theory, and it's interesting, uh, you know, recently that seems to be a hot topic in fiction. I've read two novels in a row this summer that are both about the idea that we are living in a simulation. Talk to us about that.
1: Which books did you read, I I want to read them.
0: Yeah, it was The Anomaly, which is this French novel that I guess a year ago was like the talk of the French literary scene. I didn't love okay. it. Um, And then there is the new Emily St. John Mandel novel. She wrote Station Eleven, which is a a show right now. Her newest novel is called Sea of Tranquility and is also about simulation theory.
1: Okay. All right. I haven't read those. I'll I'll, I'll give them a read. Yeah, I mean, um, I do – yeah, so as I explained in that blog post, uh, I do believe we're leaving a simulation. But uh, just because of that, it doesn't mean that we should not take things seriously. Uh, Life is still very meaningful. Work is still very meaningful. We still got to take all of these things very seriously. Uh, but it does take a little bit of an edge off uh, when you're dealing with, with higher-pressure situations. Um, part of the simulation, some things are programmed, you can't change them. Some things are, uh, some things have some randomness to it, and there's an element of luck. I've been super lucky already. I mean, if you're not in a simulation, like, no one gets this lucky. So uh, um, yeah, so I'm very grateful for that, and we just got to make the best out of this simulation.
2: Um, I do. I do have one, actually, two follow-up questions. Because you said oh, you hadn't read those books that Dan mentioned. What have you read recently? I'm curious to know.
1: Um, I've been reading. Let me see. I've uh, been reading a bunch of random uh, uh, things. Um, uh, I've been reading the Amazon book uh, "Working Backwards," uh, mm-hmm. the Amazon story, which is a fant- fantastic read for any entrepreneur out there. I would highly recommend that book. Um, I'm I'm reading the second reading it the second time. Uh, also reading the book called Molecule of More talking about dopamine, um, not a – I just started, so I'm not sure how good it is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a crack in creation talking about biotech, um, uh, uh, CRISPR, CRISPR, CRISPR-9, mm-hmm. um, it's about gen- genetic editing, uh, some stuff. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, cloud money is pretty good. Um, really public, the culture map is great. Uh, we're now working globally, different co- – how different cultures can work together um uh, etc no Filter, the, the the instagram story which is also quite interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um the ugly truth uh, about it's kind of a nasty book about facebook i'm not sure how much of it is real it talks about you know gives you ideas on what to avoid um some of the pitfalls so yeah all kind of random books i have a i have a 50 recommend 50 book recommendation list internally for binance and publish about uh, a public list of about ten ten twenty 20 of them
2: mm-hmm. very cool
0: who created the simulation, CZ? That's
1: that's the – well, that's the thing. We don't know what kind of simulation we're in. So it could be us simulating ourselves, which means that if we die, we just wake up, and that's perfect. That's fantastic. But it could be – we could be simulated by a higher dimension being, like how we simulate Super Mario. When he dies, he doesn't get to talk to us. Uh, he just he – just, he just vanishes. Um, and uh, um, so we don't know. Uh, that's the beauty. Once once we know if we know what kind of simulation it is, it kind of loses purpose. Um, mm-hmm. Then, if I know that if I die, I'll wake up, then I will not take. Then there's a lot of things I will not take too seriously again, uh, uh, or seriously at all. Um, but because we don't know, uh, it makes all the simulation more, much more meaningful. Um, so we can't. It, just because we're in simulation doesn't mean that we don't take things seriously. We still got. So I still work, I still take work very seriously. Um, but I don't take myself too seriously. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think of myself as a really important person, all this other stuff.
4: Nice,
0: yeah, I mean, it's, it's making me think of, it's not simulation theory, but another great one is the three body problem, if mm-hmm. you want something
1: to read. Yeah, that's a long read, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally.
0: Uh, boy, this is, it's so much fun talking about this stuff. But this has been great. Um, we will hope to have you back on at some point, and, and thanks for coming on the podcast, CZ. Appreciate it. Sure.
1: Thank you so much, Dan, and thank you so much, Stacy, for having me.
3: Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. I'll be back tomorrow with our daily news. And until then, happy hodling, everyone.